A reading from the second book of Samuel. Absalom unexpectedly came up against David's servants. He was mounted on a mule, and as the mule passed under the branches of a large terebinth, his hair caught fast in the tree. He hung between heaven and earth, while the mule he had been riding ran off. Someone saw this and reported to Joab that he had seen Absalom hanging from a terebinth. And taking three pikes in hand, he thrust for the heart of Absalom, still hanging from the tree alive. Now David was sitting between the two gates, and a lookout went up to the roof of the gate above the city wall, where he looked about and saw a man running all alone. The lookout shouted to inform the king, who said, if he is alone, he has good news to report. The king said, step aside and remain in attendance here. So he stepped aside and remained there. When the Cushite messenger came in, he said, let my lord, the king receive the good news that this day the Lord has taken your part, freeing you from the grasp of all who rebelled against you. But the king asked the Cushite, is young Absalom safe? The Cushite replied, may the enemies of my Lord, the king, and all who rebel against you with evil intent be as that young man. The king was shaken and went up to the room over the city gate to weep. He said as he wept, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Absalom, my son, my son. Jo Joab was told that the king was weeping and mourning for Absalom. And that day's victory was turned into mourning for the whole army when they heard that the king was grieving for his son. Verbum Domini. Listen, Lord, and answer me. Incline your ear, O Lord, answer me, for I am afflicted and poor. Keep my life, for I am devoted to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for to you I call all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in kindness to all who call upon you. Hearken, O Lord, to my prayer, and attend to the sound of my pleading.
Dominus Fobiscum. Lexio Sancti Evangelii Secundum Marcum. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and he stayed close to the sea. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came forward. Seeing him, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, saying, my daughter is at the point of death. Please come lay your hands on her that she may get well and live. He went off with him and a large crowd followed him. There was a woman afflicted with hemorrhages for 12 years. She had suffered greatly at the hands of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet she was not helped, but only grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. She said, if I but touch his clothes, I shall be cured. Immediately her flow of blood dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Jesus, aware at once that power had gone out from him, turned around in the crowd and asked, who has touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see how the crowd is pressing upon you, and yet you ask, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. The woman, realizing what had happened to her, approached in fear and trembling. She fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be cured of your affliction. While he was still speaking, people from the synagogue official's house arrived and said, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher any longer? Disregarding the message that was reported, Jesus said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid, just have faith. He did not allow anyone to accompany him inside except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they arrived at the house of the synagogue official, he caught sight of a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. So he went in and said to them, why this commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they ridiculed him. Then he put them all out. He took along the child's father and mother and those who were with him and entered the room where the child was. He took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. The girl, a child of 12, arose immediately and walked around. At that, they were utterly astounded. He gave strict orders that no one should know this and said that she should be given something to eat. Verbum Domini. In our gospel account today, many people probably touched or bumped into or had some physical contact with the Lord. Even the disciples said to him, you see how the crowd is pressing in around you, and yet you ask, who touched me? What was different for the woman who had been suffering from the hemorrhage is that she approached and she touched the Lord with great faith and great trust. 
She expected that she would be healed, that some change would take place in her life. When we receive Holy Communion, we do much more than touch the clothing of the Lord. So in light of this gospel, we can examine ourselves. How are we interiorly disposed when we come and approach the Lord to receive him in Holy Communion? We receive the body and blood of the same all-powerful Lord that we hear about in the gospel, who cured the sick, who raised the dead. So this encounter we have with him in the Eucharist can change our lives, but the degree depends upon the receptiveness of our hearts and on our faith and our trust as it did for the woman in the gospel. And similarly, our Lord invites Jairus to a deeper trust and faith in him. Jairus, the synagogue official, was a very prominent man, and yet he humbled himself before the Lord. He fell at his feet and begged him to heal his daughter, who was at the point of death. And on their way, as we just heard in the gospel, right as the Lord encountered this woman with great faith, the news comes that Jairus' daughter has just died. Jairus is even told by some, your daughter has died, why trouble the teacher any longer? So Jairus had faith and trust when he first approached the Lord to ask him to heal his daughter. And now the Lord is inviting him to deepen that faith and trust. Because Jairus could have easily said, don't bother, Lord, she's dead. Just allow my family and I to grieve the loss of our daughter. But he didn't. Because the Lord said, the Lord, we heard in the gospel, the Lord dismissed this and immediately said, do not be afraid, just have faith. And Jairus did. He went along and followed the Lord's prompting. And as we just heard in the gospel, the Lord took the young girl by the hand and told her to arise, and she rose immediately. Again, we can't forget our Lord is all-powerful. There's nothing that's impossible for God. So in our readings today, we're offered an invitation to a greater faith, a greater trust in the Lord and in his almighty power. And when our Lord referred to the little girl as being asleep when she had died, Again, he commanded her in the Aramaic expression to arise, and she did arise. And this is important, just the, the wording of this, because we learn from the New Testament that the culture around that time referred to death as falling asleep. St. Paul would say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, We would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. And in the Roman canon, or the first Eucharistic prayer, we pray for the repose of the souls of those who have gone before us and rest in the sleep of peace. So this miracle in the gospel today is not only about the rising of this girl, the raising of this girl from the dead, but also points to our future resurrection at the second coming. We, like Jairus' daughter, will rise again after death on the last day. And like the woman suffering greatly, we can approach the Lord with faith and trust. And we have that contact with him in the healing and grace-filled power of the sacraments, especially the Holy Eucharist, as the Lord, we know, does not abandon us. And on our Franciscan calendar of saints today, we celebrate the memorial of St. Hyacinth Mariscotti. She was born in the late 16th century into a very wealthy and prominent Italian family. And after her younger sister had been married before she had been, she went through a period of discouragement and disappointment. And then she went off and became a religious of the third order of St. Francis. And she did not have a great start. 
She began to live a very worldly and comfortable existence and accumulated a lot in excess of many worldly things. She was living for herself. Then on one occasion, which was very providential, she became very ill. She became very sick to the point where her confessor had to go to her cell, to her room, to give her the sacraments. And he was astonished at the accumulation of all these worldly things that she had in her room and just the way she had been, li she had been living. And he rebuked her. He corrected her and admonished her in the midst of her sickness. But this was a great moment of conversion and grace in her life. She changed her life. <laughs> Thanks be to God, she recovered enough, enough to uh, be healthy again. And she went, one of the first things she did was she went to her sisters and community and she apologized for the scandal, the bad example that she had given by her way of life. And she was inspired to ask the intercession of St. Catherine of Siena. And that again, further helped her to really just get rid of all the excess in her life. Again, to devote herself to the Lord because that's what she had committed to living when she entered these sisters. To live according to the third rule of St. Francis, the third order rule. We can think also, you know, as, as she went through this life, so she changed from just a worldly way of living to get back to the basics, a life of prayer and simplicity, of penance, and even a life of heroic virtue. I'm reminded of what St. Teresa of Avila had said, and St. Teresa of Avila died just a couple years before St. Hyacinth was born, so they're roughly around the same time. But St. Teresa of Avila said, it's when I possess the least that I have the fewest worries. And the Lord knows that as far as I can tell, I'm more afflicted when there is excess of anything than when there is lack of it. And we might notice too in our own experience that the more we have or the more we accumulate things, the more we are concerned about those things. I mean, we can easily get distracted by thinking about all the things that we have and taking care of them rather than keeping our focus on the Lord. And we know again, if we have excess of things and we're you know, again immersed in those things, we begin to lose a desire for prayer and a desire for growth in the spiritual life. But praise God, Hyacinth had the humility to accept that correction by her confessor that she was given during her illness, and that changed her way of life. Fraternal correction is a spiritual work of mercy. It's referred to as admonishing the sinner. Well, one obstacle or difficulty we can run into is the fear of upsetting the person who needs to be corrected. You think on the part of this confessor, the thought may have been there that this young woman, this religious, is a member of a very prominent and wealthy and influential family. So I don't want to do anything that's going to cause a stir because there may be consequences for that. But he didn't. He felt prompted by the Lord to correct her. And on top of that, this young woman was gravely sick. So the thought could be this is not the right time to correct her because she's gravely ill. And yet we know, based because this led to her conversion, this was a prompting he received from the Lord to correct her, to help her get back on the right track. And when fraternal correction is done properly, it is a great act of charity. It's not about intending to make someone look bad or to publicly humiliate them. It's to win that person back to God, to help them, to assist them to get to heaven, to grow in virtue. And if we're on the receiving end of fraternal correction, we should receive it with humility, as Hyacinth did. Even though it might not be easy to receive correction, it can lead to gratitude. And that our brother or sister loves us enough, they care enough about us, that they want to help us get to heaven. They're looking out for our spiritual good. 
And if we're the one who is discerning about making correction of another, it's always good to pray and to ask the Holy Spirit for the right words that we need and when the best time would be so as to avoid humiliating the person. It's also helpful to pray for that person who is to receive the correction, that their hearts might be open. St. Jose Maria would give the following advice. He said, when you have to make a fraternal correction, do it with great kindness, with great charity, in what you say and in the way you say it. For at that moment, you are God's instrument. Can we thank God for that confessor accepting the prompting of the Holy Spirit? And we pray that we might be open when the Lord wants to use us as instruments to help lead others closer to him and to heaven. So we ask the intercession of St. Hyacinth today that we might receive that grace to persevere on the continued path of conversion. We know that even though it's been said, I think it's been attributed to St. John Vianney that not all the saints started well, but they all finished well. We see that in Hyacinth, she had a rough start, but she experienced the grace of conversion. She became a great saint, that we might continually continue to work on our conversion, which is a lifelong process. And also that we might humbly and gratefully receive correction from others who genuinely care about the good of our souls and our relationship with God.